from 87 Lafayette, this is Coronapod. I'm Matt. And I'm Adam. You know, Adam, I think Momo might finally be taking a little bit of a liking to me, despite the fact that I accidentally let her out of the apartment this morning and she was uh, trapped outside in the stairwell for uh, God knows how long. Uh, so that, maybe she likes me a little bit less. But last night, she she came over and she cuddled with me a little bit. So I think we're making progress. Either that or she loves the uh, the theme song as much as I do. Because she, she, when she hears the boys club, she now comes over. So Well, she is getting a lot of shout outs on this podcast as everyone who listens knows because I am certain that everyone who starts to listen always makes it to the end the bitter end of the episode where they will hear that this show is sponsored by Momo the Cat follow her at Momo underscore is underscore a underscore cat so I think she may finally be warming to us after uh, getting all that valuable marketing in this show. I think we should put an entire episode together about pets at some point, but one, one last pet anecdote before we move on to our, our topic for the day is I was talking to my friend about their cat, and their cat, they were saying, is pretty unhappy about everyone home. Their cat is used to being alone for most of the day, <laughs> and now... Chives doesn't get any alone time anymore. So I think we'll put together some more thoughts on pets and work from home. But um, So stay tuned. But that. instead of uh, thinking about what pets do when they're, you know, stuck at home all day, let's talk about what we've been doing to pass the time while we've been uh, been at home all day. What have we been doing? Because I think I am watching more movies and YouTube and TV. You're, okay, I, but can, I, we, can we pause on the YouTube, actually? Let's pause on the YouTube. You have some very interesting YouTube interests that are both unexpected and obscure. Yeah, can so you talk the, about so that? I think the main one you're referencing is I love a YouTube channel called Angle's Coat Shop. It's a guy in Montana, <laughs> and he spends his time repairing... Wagon wheels, primarily <laughs> wooden wagon wheels. Now I have a, a a tragic update, which is his account has clearly been hacked. Oh no! Because all of the videos are still there. The whole back catalog is still there. Uh, uh, what about the wagon wheel? The, all the wagon wheels. All the, the wagon, wagon wheels, wheels are fine. The wagon wheels are still there. Um, everything from you know spring wagons to buckboards, you name it, he's done it. I'm not, the I'm not even going to ask wagon. about the I mean, differences I know, in these types of wagons. I know a lot about wagons and wagon wheels now, but his his account's been hacked because the the channel name has been changed to Microsoft News, and there's been a Bill Gates live stream, which is nothing for the last three days. Um, so hopefully. This guy gets his account back. He's an older gentleman out of Montana. His content is fabulous. So I've been watching a lot of wagon making. But not only that, I've, I've watched two movies, which I don't really watch. But, but wait, hold on. We, hold on. We, we need to tie up on this wagon wheel point because you did not include one very important detail. You watch these... At two times speed. At two times speed. Absolutely. And so it sounds like someone is repairing a wagon wheel after inhaling helium. And it's not that bad, but I think um, 
It is very calming to watch someone who is incredibly good at their job. A just master execute. of their craft. Yeah. And watching that at two times speed versus one times speed really, really makes no difference for me. So putting that aside, the more traditional media consumption, uh, watch two movies. We watched Stardust with Catherine the other day. Yeah, let's pause on Stardust. I think it's uh, Robert what? De Niro's finest, <laughs> finest role. What was the deal with that movie? I did not know that Robert De Niro, um, who else? Who else was in it? Some, some pretty well-known actors. Oh, that, that person from Homeland. Um, Anyway, some pretty well-known people, Robert De Niro in particular, who plays a swashbuckling air air pirate pilot as well. Uh, You know, really a big departure from The Irishman. Maybe his finest role, but also maybe not. Um, More broadly, though, the the premise of the movie was very confusing to our listeners. I'm not even going to... Claire Danes. Claire Danes. Claire Danes. I'm not even going to attempt to describe what this movie was actually about. Uh, its production value is also um, mixed. But, um, you know, we it was, a, it was an enjoyable but then experience. What's the, um, the other thing that I think is worth talking about is we just started watching Making the Cut on Netflix. Mm. Uh, sorry, not on Netflix, on Amazon. Yeah. And I will say... We are, we are, why, why, why did we decide to watch a remake of uh, Top... Project Runway. Project Runway. Because we love fashion, obviously. Yes, because yes. we are sitting here, you're wearing your... Chillmark Road Chillmark Race. Road Race shirt. I'm wearing um, some shorts and that have some stains on them. Yeah, so, but, but what's the real reason? Not only do we love fashion. Okay, the real reason, the real reason is because we know... One of the stars, Jiwon Choi, a very good friend of ours, the roommate of our beloved friend Peter, who has actually been on this show before, um, and really a brilliant designer. I'm in no position, actually, to comment upon anything about fashion, but her designs are incredible. And I will say, having watched the show last night, I think we were all in agreement that uh, her stuff was very good. Some of the contestants she's up against... Not so good. So let's hope either A, they figure that out in further episodes, or B, she goes all the way. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's been, it's been, it, it feels less guilty to watch reality television show today than I think other times. Also, it feels less guilty to watch a reality television show if your friend is in said reality television show. I want to clarify, this is the only reality television show that we are watching. currently watching. Um, Except that's a lie. I have been making my way through the back catalog of the British, Great British Throwdown. It is a take <laughs> on the Great British Bake Off, but instead of baking, they make pottery. And I mean, there are losers, but truly everyone is on a winner on this show. The host is constantly moved to tears by people's uh, toilets that they make out Incredible. of ceramics. Incredible. The turtle one. The turtle toilet was phenomenal. It's all on YouTube, um, so it's free. You can go watch it. Um, I will say, one thing we were commenting on is this show, Making the Cut, every designer is introduced as being from Nebraska, Virginia. G1 is introduced from being Oklahoma. All of these things are true. True However, all of these people have been, have been living in New York or L.A. for the last, you know, <laughs> decade. So it's funny to see Juwan as, like, this Oklahoma girl when yeah. she is 
New York uh, incarnate. New York, West Village it, yeah. incarnate. Yeah. But going back for a moment to pottery, to the pottery show, here's an idea that maybe, Adam, you could pitch and, and really monetize to Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, whomever. The great British wagon wheel throwdown. And the contestants have to make the best wagon wheel. I think you'd be a good host. I, I would love to host that. Um, just to keep an important tradition of American wheelwrights alive, I think that would be so valuable. I worry about the generations that will come after us where people won't <laughs> know how to repair a, uh, a wooden wagon wheel. Okay, but speaking of people who actually know things and how to do things, I think we should move on to our guest tonight, who I'm really excited to speak to, and I think is going to have a great perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's give Sydney a call. Sydney just finished a uh, or was a, a somewhat abbreviated, but we'll hear about this um, third year of med school. So she's now a fourth year med student, and we're going to talk about kind of what med students are facing. Where are meds? Where have med students been brought into the crisis? Where have med students kind of been kept on the the uh, out of the fire, so to speak? And what are people thinking about that? What what debates are raging within the medical community of those who are about to kind of enter it? So let's let's give Sydney a call. Hello. Hey, Sydney. How are you doing? Hey, I'm good. How are you? We're doing well. Welcome to Coronapod. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Of course. So can you give us a, a, a brief background for our listeners? Who are you? Uh, what your med school? All, all that jazz. Yeah. Uh, my name's Sydney. I am. I just finished my third year of med school at uh, Georgetown Med School in D.C. Um, so the third year is like the first year that you're in the hospital. So I basically just spent 12 months rotating through all the different specialties. And I have one more year left, um, the fourth year, where you kind of do more of what you want to do, more elective time. And then at the end of fourth year, you match into a specialty and go do that. So almost there. We're not quite yet. Got it. And at this point, it sounds like they have stopped med school. Everyone has kind of gone home. Um, is that is that correct? Yeah. So at this point, um, it was pretty interesting uh, for us, like, we were hearing a lot of different things kind of leading into March. Um, for, for us, randomly, the way our schedule lined up was we were all supposed to finish our third year yesterday, um, the last Friday of March. And everyone, our school was really pushing for us to get through. So while other schools across the country were canceling, uh, having students in the hospitals pretty early, like, second week of, week of March, we kept getting emails from Georgetown telling us we're going to keep having you go in. Our, our parent health company, MedStar Health, which runs a lot of the hospitals around the D.C. and Baltimore area, was okay with having students. Um, but then the AAMC, which is kind of the overseeing board of all medical education in the U.S., released a statement like a week and a half ago saying that med students shouldn't be in the hospitals. And it kind of at that point, every school pulled their students. Leading up to that, probably only a third of the med schools in the country had pulled their students out. So I, this is me being kind of not super familiar with this, but I know that a lot of med students and residents are kind of in the hospitals and are, you know, are, are they key to how they function? Like, do you guys serve a role that would not otherwise be filled? Or, like, 
in the case where, like, everyone is told to leave, like, does everything kind of still operate smoothly? Yeah, that's a good question. That was a big, a big topic of debate. If you, I, I, I've talked to friends at other schools and certainly true at Georgetown, but if you, as they were kind of going through the decision process of whether or not to keep up or send us home, people in our third, our third year and our fourth year class Facebook groups were having, like, very heated 50-message response type uh, discussions. I, I think ultimately most hospitals would function totally fine without medical students. But hospitals that are used to having med students and also have residents and, and outpatient clinics and every site that they place us, there's often some sort of workflow where we help do a lot of the a lot of the work that takes up a lot of time. It's it, you know a lot of the long conversations with patients or writing notes in the chart um, that really would take up a lot of more important time for the senior doctors, the residents, and the attendings. That's often what the med students do. So I think. Not having us there, you know, things certainly still can get done, but um, there's definitely some floors where things probably happen a little slower. There's also some situations like certain things like ophthalmology or uh, ear, nose, and throat, otolaryngology. A lot of those really super specific fields, and they didn't kind of just watch. Um, so for that, we don't add anything probably pretty universally. But for, for kind of basic stuff, emergency room and an internal medicine floor, there's a lot of busy work that we certainly generally do uh, and now the residents are probably having to do. You know, one question I'm wondering about is you're now, I guess, three quarters of the way through, well, the first part of your of your medical education. And I'm wondering, how prepared do you think that your medical education has made you for something like this? It feels like what's happening in hospitals is totally different from the norm. There are so many patients, all of whom have this very particular severe illness. Is that something, is, is a pandemic like this something that you talked about, that you learned how to prepare for in med school? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, we definitely we never talked about a pandemic type thing, um, but I think throughout our training, we have talked a lot about uh, what happened when HIV was kind of first becoming a, a virus that people were discovering, and then as that was kind of flooding the hospitals back during the, the times when that was first discovered. Um, and certainly, like, we haven't necessarily learned, like, how you deal with over full hospitals or what to do, but I think a lot of us have experience talk, working with senior doctors that were doing their training when HIV hit, um, and for example, like one of my doctors that I worked with for a month in uh, February, he was in Columbia Hospital doing his training and HIV was hitting. And, and oftentimes, as we had patients that would come into our floor, he would kind of reflect back and he'd say, oh, back when HIV was happening and we didn't know what it was, but we had 15 patients with these exact symptoms, this is what we would do. And, and we didn't know how to do it, but we just tried these things. Uh, so I think kind of like case by case, if you, a lot of the doctors that are teaching us went through that and so oftentimes they will share their stories and especially as coronavirus is starting to happen kind of towards the end of when we were in the hospital people were talking more about that time period and um like hospital history and what about the medical ethical dilemmas that fortunately doctors in new york and in the united states more broadly haven't found themselves in yet but doctors in Italy certainly have, where 
there are not enough ventilators, there are too many patients, and doctors have to make really difficult decisions. Is, is that something that you feel your medical education prepared you to think about? Yeah, that's a good question. We, I, I think a situation as dire as what's happening in Italy is certainly not something we've kind of head-on addressed. Um, we do take, like, medical ethics, so, you know, every couple of months we'll have small group settings where we'll discuss kind of pressing, uh, like, you know, one-off scenarios, but it's never, you know, you have 40 patients and you can only ventilate 10 of them type situations that this might eventually get to. You definitely see a lot. I think just throughout the year, throughout third year, there, there are a lot of instances um, where you kind of you see how people react, where you have a patient maybe that's like homeless or someone that's uninsured, where maybe they're ready to leave the hospital medically, but if they leave, they won't be able to come back for insurance reasons for a surgery they need, and, and you see how different doctors handle that in the moment. Um, so I think it's, it, we've definitely thought about things like that, but I don't think we would be ready to be the one making those decisions or really have the training to know how to make those decisions without better guidance or some sort of kind of general standard of what should happen in their situations. Got it. What are, it sounds like DC hasn't been hit by coronavirus nearly as bad as say New York Louisiana or, or maybe Boston, um, but presumably that's coming. And is there a feeling that it was a mistake to send you home because at some point you guys are going to be necessary in that like you clearly have a lot of training and like could could do things, not, not right now, which what you've described as saying like some of the, you know, non-essential busy work, like n- not busy work in a bad way, but kind of keeping track of charts, doing things like that, are kind of moving up the up the ladder. So the residents are doing that, whereas before you would be doing that. But as you kind of fast yeah. forward, when, when all of that stuff goes out the window and it's just trying to, like, save lives, is there a feeling that med students would be valuable to have or there are enough residents, there are enough nurses, there are enough doctors that this is not really the, the place for them yet. They haven't gone through residency. How do you feel about that? How do some of your peers feel about that? Yeah, I know. I think that, that that's a really good question. Um, actually, I, I can read you something one of my classmates wrote in our Facebook group, which I think kind of put into terms what we were all thinking very well. Um, so, so she basically, we were having a debate in our Facebook group when they were deciding whether or not to send us home. And half our class was very adamantly saying we should stay. We have three years of medical education. We're, we're essentially the level of a starting a starting intern. You know, even though we have one year left of medical school, your fourth year is kind of more specialized. It's not really preparing you to work on a medicine floor, an emergency medicine, an emergency room. Um, so we're basically a lot of us feel like we're almost at the level to be kind of a starting intern. Um, not not a good intern, but we, we have almost all the training that we're going to get. Um, whereas a lot of people are saying we shouldn't be in the hospital, we're going to waste the masks and waste the, the PPE that all the actual doctors write the orders need. Um, but I'll, I'll read this, this thing that one of my classmates wrote, which I think sums it up really well. She said, I'd like to help in any way that I can, but also recognize that there are inherent limitations in my ability to provide unsupervised care for patients as a medical student. Nearly every activity I've done as a medical student has needed to be observed or redone by a resident or an attending. I cannot place orders. I've never intubated a patient unsupervised. 
if I can help direct traffic at parking lots where they're doing in-car COVID-19 tests, put me there. If I can help scribe for doctors or nurses, put me there. If I can help run errands for the elderly or immunocompromised, put me there. If I can offer child care for residents and physicians who have kids at home because school has been canceled, put me there. But at this point in time, I question my usefulness as a medical student and elected non-urgent patient encounters and fear that showing up to the hospital every day may instead add me as another vector that could be putting patients and others in the community at risk. Um, and I think that, like, that kind of echoed what all of us were feeling. We all thought, or we still think, like, if there's a way to have us do kind of maybe telehealth triaging or all the people that are no longer able to go to their doctor's appointments, for example, pregnant women who usually see the doctor every week or every other week as they're getting closer to their due date are no longer going to their scheduled visits. But we've all been through that. We know what those appointments are like. We could call them and ask them the questions that you ask and at least provide some sort of help that way. Um, I think that's kind of what we all want to do. And we've heard some, some communication from the school saying that's what eventually they'll want us to do. They're just still trying to figure out how to implement it and how to implement it both like safely and legally since none of us have licenses yet. Got it. Yeah, that, that's really helpful because to me it sounds like what they really need are bodies, but it's not so much, it's not only that you need bodies to actually be treating COVID-19 patients, but the rest of the medical system needs to go carry on there. And those might be better areas where med students can better serve, where the the states are still- Yeah, I think that's kind of how we feel. Like we we could help, you know, your your annual that you didn't get to go to because your primary care doctor is only seeing COVID patients. We could still call and, and ask certain questions and, if you, if you just have cold symptoms and you're not sure if you could come in, you know, we can answer the phones. We can do any of that stuff pretty easily at this point in our training. Got it. Well, thank you so much for sharing this perspective. I, I hope, I really hope that you're not needed, that we are able to get out of this mess that we've, we've sadly created for ourselves without relying on people who, who have just started their um medical careers, but but if you are necessary, it's really, really heartening to hear that you guys want to help and feel that you're you're prepared to help. So thank you very much for everything that you've done and everything that you might do in the future. Yeah, of Thank you, Cindy. It's, uh, it's interesting, too, like, for us, we're only going into fourth year, but the, the people that are in their fourth year, I think almost definitely will kind of universally start working in about a month instead of three months when they were supposed to. So the U.S. is definitely following Italy and England, um, just not with our class yet, but with the class of our Got it. Well, thanks very much. Stay safe and stay healthy. Thanks. You guys too. Bye-bye. Bye. I really, I really hope it does not come to that. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, it may, and if it does, I've been in Sydney for a long time, and I'm sure... She and her peers will do a fabulous job doing whatever's whatever's asked of them. So, what's up next, Adam? It's um, it's Saturday night. What what are we gonna do tonight for fun? Uh, well, you are in the process of creating a uh, delicious dinner for us. I'm about halfway through the uh, issue of preservation policy on uh, preservation and new data landscapes. I'm reading about. Uh, environmental efficiency in uh, preservation buildings. So that's that's what's uh, on the docket for me on this gray, wet Saturday evening. 
Sounds absolutely lit. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm sorry your birthday is not uh, <laughs> the normal way you would have wanted you know, to we're celebrate healthy, it. Things could, things could be a lot worse. We're healthy and uh, we're together. Yeah. Well, happy birthday, Matt. And uh, to our listeners, thank you for listening. This has been Coronapod. Thanks for listening. Until next time, stay healthy. Coronapod is brought to you by Momo the Cat. Follow her at Momo underscore is underscore a underscore cat.